At British Airways, we're recruiting in our ground operations team at London Heathrow. You'll have bags of responsibility as a valued colleague below the wing of our aircraft. Every touchdown and takeoff would not be possible without our brilliant team. So this is your chance to make a real difference and showcase your original skills and talents. New joiners will receive a £1,000 sign-on bonus, along with staff travel benefits from day one. Plus, we offer world-class training and career development opportunities. Bonus terms and conditions apply. Visit ba.com careers and apply now. I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife, And we are the, the Flight, Flight Safety, Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host John has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GO team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, John, we're back at it again for another podcast episode. One of the things that we're going to be talking about today is, of course, maintenance and maintenance technicians and some of the issues that come with turning a wrench and how some of these folks may get themselves in trouble. And I know that uh, we've had previous discussions and even on previous podcasts, we've touched on it a little bit. And before we get into uh, to all of that with our special guest, we should talk about some of the feedback that we got from our previous podcast. And we got a question from a, uh, a maintenance personnel uh, in a major airline. So why don't you highlight with what the question was, and let's see if we can answer it for the folks. Uh, so the question came from a mechanic on a, on a scheduled 121 carrier, and it pertains to a new hire mechanic, which because of the personnel shortages we have today, there's a lot of mechanics getting hired on with low experience, but they have their certificate, the AMP uh, certificate. That certificate comes with some burdens, but it also comes with some uh, privileges. So the privilege is that you get to work on any airplane uh, that's out there. But one of the restrictions is you have to either have previous experience or you have to be able to understand the published procedures. And uh, as long as there's a published procedure that you have in the maintenance manual, that person can continue. And who's responsible? You, you were talking about experience with this relatively new mechanic. You know, they either have to have experience or be able to understand the procedure. Who's responsible to ensure that they either understood the procedure or because of their lack of experience, they've done the work correctly? All right. So it's twofold. It's a management responsibility, and the way they, they fulfill that responsibility is through their first-line supervision that's out on the, the floor, just a supervisor, as well as the, the quality assurance department, which we commonly call the inspectors. So on, on safety-critical jobs, there is an inspection requirement. Now, these are not IAs. They don't have inspection so, authorization from mm -hmm. the FAA. These are people that have inspection authorization from their company. Okay. And they operate under their company's procedure. So they are responsible 
for ensuring at certain steps and certain jobs that they look and make, make sure that it's accomplished in accordance with the procedures up to that point. So how does that then differ from the general aviation community where I take my airplane to the local mechanic and he does work on it or she does work on it? How is that different? I mean, do they do they have that inspection authority or do they have to go find somebody that's got an IA? It gets a little bit more complicated than the GA side because you don't have that level of oversight. You know, chap, Flight 91, Chapter 91 of the FARs is the general aviation side. That's the basic regulation, and they don't have the luxury of having uh, that kind of support around them. So it gets to be a little more complicated. The, that individual certificate holder, mechanic, that's got the low experience that just came in, he gets to have some additional burdens. Because if what he's trying to accomplish doesn't have published procedures, then he's got to be reaching out to somebody who's done the job before, has special expertise, and that can be there and guide him through the work the first time, and maybe more than the first time. And one of the things that I've seen, I know you've seen it as well, is that at least in the general aviation community, this are, there's a shared responsibility. Unlike having an airline with its own maintenance department, as a pilot, as an owner of an aircraft, if I have a maintenance technician work on my airplane, and while they do record it in the engine or airframe logbook, they sign it off as a return to service, it's still my responsibility as the pilot owner of the aircraft to ensure that the mechanic has done things properly, not necessarily hands-on to make sure that the cylinder barrel is torqued, but that the entry into the logbook is as required and, it, and the airplane is signed off as airworthy. Well, that entry is... is- is the area that mechanics get in the most trouble with. And in fact, when I was employed with a 121 carrier over the years, part of my duties was to be, the FAA used to like to call me the interpreter. All right, between the, the language that we used in the hangar, which sometimes is very difficult to understand if you're not living in that environment, and what the regulations call for in, in the way other people would talk. So oftentimes, uh, logbooks would not be signed off in a way that would be easily understandable by somebody who wasn't there. So uh, in my role of like a liaison between the mechanic and either the company or the FAA, I would, would step in and try to interpret that. And sometimes the mechanic was wrong, and uh, but most often it was right. It was just a question of lousy words or uh, not enough words. And so for us to to really understand this, of course, we brought in a special guest because Kathy's going to be able to, you know, interpret some of the regulations for us and tell us, you know, the legality side of it. But, you know, when you look at the difference between a 121 air carrier, such as a United or American or Spirit or Southwest, those are the major carriers, the 121 carriers. The general aviation community is at the other spectrum. Who's more susceptible to getting themselves into trouble. And that's probably a good good segue into uh, to Kathy and, and what she sees. Kathy brings to this table a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. Kathy is part of Yotus and Associates, has been PAMA's in-house attorney, if you will, with our legal services plan. She also was experienced on the flight side with AOPA, with their legal services plan. So the firm brings a, a wealth of knowledge and information. And uh, in my past, I've been in contact with Kathy and in uh, our discussions. I've won a few and lost many when she was in charge of enforcement at the FAA. So we have a love-hate relationship. 
<laughs> well, that's why Kathy Yotis, whose name is in that law firm, she brings a wealth of experience, her past at the FAA. She now knows, at least from our perspective, the ability. Uh, she brings that perspective of she's been on both sides of the fence, if you will. And so that brings to us and especially the listeners, the ability to really interpret what those regulations mean. We've all been around aviation for quite a long time with regard to, well, this is the way I've read a regulation, but that may not be the way I understand it versus the FAA. So we're glad that you're here. And uh, I think one of the big issues that you all have talked about in the past, and of course, John has brought up, is, is the fact that experience can play into how mechanics get themselves in trouble, uh, whether it's on the GA side or the air carrier side. What, are your, what have you seen in the past, either from the FAA side or now in private practice, what are you seeing as far as maintenance techs getting themselves in trouble? Uh, well, Greg and John, thank you very much for having me here to discuss these issues with you. I look forward to a uh, Lively dialogue, especially with you, John, where dialogues are never boring on the issues that are affecting our professional maintenance personnel. And we do see a lot of issues, as you were talking about, Greg, in terms of the FA regulations being something that we read, we think we understand. We get out into the real world and start applying those regulations, applying the maintenance manuals, seeing, getting dirty with the aircraft and trying to blend all of that information so that it makes sense in the practical experience. And that's where we will often see disagreements either amongst ourselves, disagreements with the FAA that could then result in FAA enforcement actions against a mechanic or an IA or a repairman that the FAA feels there's a violation of the regulations and then the individual is tasked with trying to explain themselves, defend themselves, working through the regulations to do so. And of course, there's always the circumstance that we hope never happens to any of us that in performing maintenance, there ends up being some sort of aircraft accident or incident that, again, turns us back into explaining the kind of maintenance we did, the reasons for it, the circumstances behind it, the practical aspect of performing that particular maintenance and understanding how to do so. So we do uh, appreciate the opportunity to be available as the PAMA Legal Services Plan offer, the participant in the benefits to those who are PAMA members, as well as to the maintenance community, and of course, to PAMA as an organization and being able to say, this is a resource, this is a tool in the professional's toolbox to be able to have access to someone who can sometimes answer these questions before they become a problem. Or if they do become a problem and all of a sudden you're faced with being questioned by your boss, by you, by the FAA in a very intimidating circumstance, how should you handle yourself? What's the best thing to do to make matters not worse, make matters better, maybe nip them in the bud. So we're very happy to be participating in this conversation and be able to help through some of these inconsistencies, maybe incongruities, and maybe just plain misunderstandings. One of the things that we've seen in the past is the fact that with 
the general public, if you will, we see these big fines levied against the major air carriers because of maintenance issues and that kind of stuff. And of course, they don't really get into an explanation that the general public can understand. So taking that, but moving it down a level where it's more practical with the general aviation community and some of the maintenance techs there, can you give us a flavor for you know what you're seeing, uh, what regulations, especially with return to service, we use that term, what's the return to service? That return to service is the mechanic has to not only have done the work, but then properly documented the work to ensure that it reflects everything that was done because a mechanic's going to find themselves in trouble, especially as you said, on for, uh, you know, God forbid there's an accident and that kind of stuff. So can you just give us a little explanation about where these mechanics are getting themselves in trouble with is something as simple as a logbook entry? Well, good question. And, and I think there are three general areas that we're seeing most prevalent in the maintenance community when it comes to the regulations. The one that we're seeing less often of the three has to do with the qualifications of the individual. Does the individual hold the right certificate, the airframe or the power plant rating, the experience that you're talking about, the recency that they're required to have, the tools, the manuals that they're required to interpret. So that's something that we encourage everybody to go back and check themselves on periodically. Hey, do I have all of my paperwork, my experience, my recency, my access up to date? Is everything current and and ready to go? But the two kinds of conduct that we see a lot of FAA enforcement and a lot of uh, investigations, whether it's on the FAA side or even on the possible accident investigation side, is the, the work itself. Was it done in accordance with the maintenance manual, the maintenance practices, or another method that would be acceptable to the administrator? And that often takes a maintenance professional that can do the research into the books, into the precedent, and maybe consult with the FAA, their maintenance inspectors, or other resources to be able to know that their work is being done in accordance with 4313, with your performance rules. But then we circle back to the other parts of the regulations that talk in terms of your maintenance entries, as you mentioned, and that the maintenance entries must be accurate, must be complete, and because this is something that the FAA takes very seriously because they can't have universal oversight over the community to go back after everybody's work and make sure the maintenance entry was done correctly or the maintenance itself was done correctly. So the FAA is very protective of documentation. And we see some shortcomings in that because we live in a shorthand world. Everybody texts in code. Well, you can't do that in a logbook because it doesn't really accurately reflect everything. And (laughs) there is no universal text code that you can put into a logbook that everybody will understand. And mechanics are good with shot signing. I was a master at it myself. (laughs) Exactly. And that can sometimes get you in trouble because the FA will come back and say, hey, this entry says you did this, but not that. Did you do both? Or worse, it says you did this, but we look at the aircraft and it doesn't look like you did that. And then that really gets the FAA's attention because they want to accuse you of intentional falsification. And the FAA then goes for the ultimate sanction of revocation of your mechanics certificate. Yeah. So one of, in my experience, what I've seen with that is the shot signing, not giving a complete explanation of what you did. And then when they're questioned about it, we get a number of mechanics that think 
that they can answer those questions and defend themselves in the environment of both their company and the FAA. And that that's usually when I got to pick up the cases before I went to the NTSB, and that was a nightmare trying to undo what the the way they discussed things. You know, the, the hangar floor version of English makes people that are not familiar with it horrified because they think that there's a bunch of ragtag people running around out there. That couldn't be further from the truth, but it's the way we speak on the hangar floor. Very short, choppy sentences. Sometimes the words we use, uh, you won't find a definition for them in the dictionary. Especially for the general aviation community, you can put a logbook in the uh, entry into an airframe or engine logbook that may be short and sweet, but it refers to a work order that's very complete as far as the actions that were taken or the parts and, and those kinds of things. So there are multiple ways, and that's why it's so important, I think, and I, I would presume that you would think that maintenance folks should understand that Part 43 and the other parts of the Federal Aviation Regulations, they're guidance. This is the way you need to be doing it. It's enforceable. So if, as long as you play by the rule book, you're not going to find yourself in trouble. But we get into a time crunch. We try to shortcut the process and, and things like that. And unfortunately, that's probably where you find a lot of your business is trying to undo that shortcut. Well, and the shortcuts can sometimes be okay. That special language that maintenance professionals use, it takes interpretation sometimes to, to get through an entry to understand what was done in real English versus maintenance English. But that can be done and that can be okay. And there are some times where you can shorten the description of something bigger and it will be considered appropriate. And other times there are not. For instance, all ADs complied with. That's not acceptable to the FAA. The FAA wants to see the ADs. And an AD being an airworthiness directive, which is mandated or mandatory by the FAA to be accomplished on an aircraft. It is a rule that must be complied with, just like the regulations of Port 43 and Part uh, 65 that we're talking about is applicable here. Correct. An AD is a rule and it requires, the FAA requires in making a maintenance entry that you've complied with an airworthiness directive, that that airworthiness directive be specifically identified. And as you were saying earlier, we're talking about a lot of pieces to this puzzle, including the regulations and the guidance, the regulations not being the guidance, the regulations being required. And I think it's important to observe that the regulations are by definition of the FAA's authority, the minimum standards by which we maintain aircraft and by which individuals exercise the privileges of the certificate. There are personal minimums that can be much higher in exercising the privileges to avoid getting into trouble. That if you yourself know that you don't feel comfortable at this level, but you do at that level, your personal minimums are perfectly appropriate as long as they're above the regulations. The regulations are the minimum requirement, but nothing stops us from exceeding and, and the minimums. We, can, we could probably have a whole nother three or four shows with regard to not only complying with the, quote, minimums, but, you know, who is it that's going to meet or exceed those minimums? Because a lot of us, especially in the safety community, expect people to, are going to exceed those minimum regulations because it's in the interest of safety. Others will say, I'm only going to do what I'm told to do and I'm not going any higher. Exactly. Right. And we have that in commercial aviation as well as in the GA community. You know, the owner of the airplane comes in and says, 
you know, I don't want to do that. I just, I want you to do the minimum to meet the regulation. And uh, that can be a problem sometimes. And it puts it puts everybody in jeopardy, not only the maintenance tech, but, of course, the pilot operating the aircraft and, of course, the airline or the operator of the aircraft. Because if something does happen, of course, that's going to be a reflection spread across the board, if you will, uh, that is not very positive. Well, you know, I mean, again... We talk about the regulations, and and we're going to have multiple shows, especially with maintenance, and I know that we're going to continue this because we're probably going to want to have some expert opinion with regard to some of the maintenance elements that come out of like an Ethiopia or a Lion Air accident. We know that there were some maintenance issues with the Lion Air accident and the 737 MAX, and of course, one of the things that people expect is that, well, if we do it here in the United States and we're at the highest standard – why doesn't the rest of the world do it or something like that? And so I know that we're going to have you back to, to definitely talk about the differences once you leave the bounds of the FAA in the United States. So uh, thank you very much for, uh, for being here. Appreciate it. And I know that you have parting comments, of course. One quick note on talking about when a mechanic is being questioned about their particular maintenance the work that we've been done. It may be in the context of you were referencing uh, the airline accidents or in the reference to an FAA coming to talk to an individual. One of the things that we want to make sure we impress upon people is that, number one, you're confident and qualified in the work you're doing because that will show, number one, in the work, but number two, if you are then tasked with conversing with somebody about it. But if you are being approached and asked to answer questions. We want to make sure people understand to be cautious, to be clear in what they are saying, objective in what they are saying, because that is an area where we can often see problems grown out of something that might have been innocent in trying to over-explain something, maybe under-explain something, maybe explain something that's misunderstood in the context. And it is important to make sure that you're confident in what you know you can say, what you don't need to say, and that you get that competent advice from a legal professional if you can, or obviously your company if that would help before engaging in any sort of interview process. Kathy Otis, thank you very much for all the expertise. I know it's been a short little segment, but uh, we're definitely going to have you back because there is a lot to talk about as usual. And for both myself and my cohort, my fellow Flight Safety Detective John Golia. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. We always like to have feedback. If you have questions, comments, please drop us an email at flight safety detectives, all one word, at gmail.com. This is the way we get uh, to really understand what you understand or may not understand and you want us to talk about with whatever guests or even between myself and John. So we look forward to you uh, listening to our next podcast. And last but not least, fly safe. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at pama.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.